the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many of us are hitting a new stage in response to the pandemic, as we are now in its third year. We continue to feel anxious and exhausted and less motivated or inspired. Today's guest, Rabbi Daniel Cohen, is all too familiar with how people are handling this, or rather, not handling it. He believes we can live with joy, regardless of our external circumstances. Rabbi Cohen is the co-host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The Rabbi and the Reverend, and author of the book, What Will They Say About You When You Are Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy. Welcome, Rabbi Cohen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me today. So, Rabbi, a psychological survey conducted by the University of Chicago found that 24% of Americans reported they were not too happy with their lives in 2021, which is up from 13% in 2018. We've been living in fear for so long. How do we turn this around? Um, I think it's very important, first of all, to recognize that during this period of time, it has been very dispiriting. It's been a time of, as you say, great anxiety. And uh, the challenge really for all of us is to somehow tap within ourselves the ability to find happiness from an external place and not necessarily from the external circumstances that are surrounding us. And I think that really starts with one of the first concepts is being grateful for the moment that we're experiencing right now. I can't overemphasize the importance of gratitude. I just want to share one story that I think exemplifies this. About two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a man in Italy. He was in his early 90s that had COVID. Thank God he survived. He was on a ventilator. And on his way out of the hospital, he was confronted with the bill for a ventilator for one day. It was around 5000 of whatever the currency is in uh, Italy. And he started to cry. And the doctor said to him as he was leaving, are you crying because you don't have enough money to pay for the bill? And he said, I'm not crying because I don't have enough money to pay for the bill. I do. He said, I'm crying because I realize I am now 93 years old and I've been breathing God's air for free. And now I know how much one breath is worth. And sometimes we need to take a moment to breathe in, to realize the gift of the moment that we're experiencing and the fact that we are here not just to survive, but ultimately to thrive. And it's a way, I think, to pull us out of the sense of lamenting the darkness and, oh, my gosh, it's been so difficult, but rather to be grateful for the moment and recognize on our unique purpose to increase some light and make the world a better place. When we're going through a difficult time, the, the last thing we want to do is see the positive or the blessings in a situation. And it's exactly the thing we need to do. I remember interviewing a woman once who was a quadriplegic. And right after her accident, people had said to her to be thankful. And, and her response was, be thankful. I don't feel thankful. I'm not grateful for anything. And they said, you don't need to feel grateful when you start. It, it's to be thankful, to give thanks. And when you do that, eventually, by by practicing being grateful, you will feel grateful. No, I think that's so true because we change our emotions through our actions. 
you know, sometimes a person can say, I wish this, I hope I'm feeling better. But I think one of the principles that we oftentimes overlook is the simple act of kindness or generosity and moving outside of ourselves. When we look for an opportunity, and it could be as simple as you're at a coffee shop and you say, you know, thank you for giving me a smile or just wishing somebody a wonderful day. And you see that person smile back. It takes us outside of ourselves and those issues that we're struggling to say, you know what? I do have renewed purpose here. I was able to lift that person's life a little bit and it actually lifts up some of the burden that we face and we're all uplifted by it. As you know, uh, it says that more than the, the, uh, the giver is giving the receiver, the receiver gives the giver because it gives our life greater purpose. And we do feel better through the actions that we do. And slowly um, the malaise that we feel begins to go away and our emotions in many ways follow our actions. It's not vice versa. Going through such a difficult time, and, and I'm asking a question about the pandemic, but this is really about anything in life. We have these expectations of the way things are supposed to be. And so when things don't turn out the way we planned, we have a hard time accepting a situation. How important is it for us to acknowledge what we can change and what we can't? I think it's extremely important because, again, every moment that we think about those things that we can't change and get upset about them is a moment lost to actually transform our lives and do something that's positive. And we have too many um, times where we're just allowing our minds to be filled with a lot of the negative noise. When I was saying to somebody actually just recently, I said, when I get up in the morning, I have a ritual, which is I say a few prayers of giving thanks to God, and I make sure that I do not look at my phone before I do that. And it just creates a new mindset. It makes me realize that, okay, I'm going to hit things that in the world that I'm going to hear that I'm realize that I may have to throw my hands up and say, what can I do about this? But, in the, but when you recognize that, you know, but I can't change the world that touches me. You know, one of the most important principles is to recognize that we may not be able to change the world, but every single person can change the world of one person. And if we focus on that individual that's right in front of us, and we try to, again, bring a little bit of our light into their world, then we're making progress and our lives will be that much more meaningful. Uh, one other point that I want to just mention in this regard is there are going to be times when things don't go our way. I was in uh, Israel a few months ago for my daughter's wedding, and I was there for already two weeks. And I wasn't feeling great. I was having a cough and a cold, but I chalked it up to maybe a little bit of a cold. But in order to get on the plane, you have to take a test. Well, I took a test and I discovered that I had COVID. And then I had, then I realized I can't, I can't leave for six days. And first I got really upset. And then I realized that what was most important for me was not to see that sickness in that moment as being a wall that I'm stuck, but it was a door for me to walk through. And I now had extra time with my dad and stepmom who were living there. Maybe God was telling me I needed to slow down a little bit, and everything worked out fine. And the ability for us to really reframe and turn obstacles into opportunities and say, you know what, I'm never going to understand why this is happening, but maybe there's something that I can learn from this or use this or harness this moment for growth and forgiving, uh, then we're able to uh, lead a much healthier and spiritually invigorated and purposeful life. And that's such a great story because when we find ourselves in the situations of, of things we didn't want to have happen, you didn't want that to happen. You wanted to come back home. But when you made a mindset shift and you changed the way you saw that situation, there were the blessings. And, and that's really what we don't do. We, we keep banging our head against the same wall. No, 100%. And then all you're doing is you get a headache. Right. <laughs> you're, not, you're not making any progress. But you know what? It's a door. And my dad has taught me this also just by the way he lives. You know, he's been an educator for 30, 40 years. And some places he was there for many years. And other places he just stayed there for a year or two. But he always would say, like, okay, God is telling me I need to go in a different direction. And then just focus on that new direction. And you experience a lot of blessings that way because, again, you can change what you can do with that new direction, as opposed to having your head focused on, I wish I was here, I wish I was there. You know, many years ago, someone reminded me that oftentimes we have either Paul McCartney disease or Annie disease. Paul McCartney's disease, you ask somebody how they're doing, and all they can say is yesterday 
All my trouble seems so far away, and they're leading life by saying, I would have, I could have, I should have. And other people have any disease, and you ask them how they're doing, and they'll say, tomorrow, tomorrow, things will be better tomorrow. But we need to recognize that the only moment that we're in control of is the moment right now. And the more that I focus on the past or anxious about the future, I'm literally missing a moment to listen to somebody a little bit deeper, to send a note to uplift somebody's day, to meditate a little bit on what does God want of me in the world. And the more that we can be fully present in this moment right now that we'll never experience again, the more that we can transform the fleeting moments into moments which are truly eternal. And that's such a wonderful example. I love that, the the Paul McCartney or the Annie story, because really most of us spend our time in the Paul McCartney story, which, you know, being a Paul McCartney fan can't be such a yes. bad place to be. But, <laughs> but living in yesterday, I mean, really, that's when we end up in that state of victimhood where everything is wrong in our life and all these terrible things happen to us. And, and it, it takes a lot of work. But when you do, I, everything changes. I mean, I've lived it. Everything changes when you make mm -hmm. that shift. You know, for sure. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think is important is to surround ourselves with people who have that attitude as well. You know, identify, take a moment today to think about who are the one or two most positive, upbeat people that I know, and maybe spend more time with them. Ask them, like, how do they stay so focused and uh, positive and productive in life in a way that's you know, defining um, a life, again, not by what they acquire, but by what they give and being true to their values. And there's a very important spiritual principles that we all, you know, can become moved by, by people that are around us. And sometimes we rise or fall based upon the environment, environment in which we put ourselves in. So, you know, finding like-minded people who you can have conversations with us about, who we can volunteer with, um, who we can spend time with, that will also give us the fuel and the inspiration and the fortitude to lead the kind of life that will pull us out of this pandemic slog and help us uh, be more uh, focused on leading a transcendent, uplifting, purposeful life. A few moments ago, you mentioned the importance of being kind and, and putting out positive vibes in the world. And, and oftentimes we say to ourselves, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? But if you flip it around and you look at the negative of it, look at the havoc one person can wreak in the world, whether it be a shooter or a political player. I mean, one person has the power to really make a difference negatively. So just imagine what each one of us can do when we put out kindness. Oh, no, 100%. I mean, you think about it, and there's a couple of things that come to mind, but, you know, one candle can light many flames. And the concept that in my one act that I do, who knows, and I've seen this before, you know, one kind word to somebody, then when they go home to their family, they're feeling better about themselves, you know, and then, then they communicate with their child and then their child feels better about themselves. There's a ripple effect that is um, so powerful that's created by one gesture. I think Robert Kennedy spoke about that, you know, like a pebble that drops into the water and all of a sudden we'll never know the impact of the little acts that we do. Um, I think about it also, a beautiful story about a fellow who was walking along the beach and he saw somebody in the distance kind of bending down and looked like he was throwing something into the water. And he went to this person and he saw that he was taking starfish that had washed up on the shore and throwing them back in the water. And the guy said to him, what are you doing? I mean, you know how many, there's thousands of starfish here. You're not really going to make a dent in anything. So he picked up one of the starfish and he looked at the person and he said, for this starfish, it makes all the difference in the world. And he threw the starfish back into the water. And that's got to be our approach. We are so unique in the universe. There is not a single person here that, that has the same exact mission in any moment that anybody that ever exists in the world. And if we lead our lives with that sense that I am here in this moment, in this supermarket line, or answering this email with a unique purpose, unlike anything else, and I can change the world of that one person, then the world will ignite with a tremendous sense of love and inclusion and really a greater sense of peace all around. Rabbi, when we go through difficult situations, it's often hard to maintain our faith. You know, we, we have questions about why could this happen? Why could God allow this to happen? 
How important is it for us to keep the faith during times like this? I think it's really important. I'm not only saying that as a rabbi, but, um, you know, God is in control of the world. In an instant, you know, things could change uh, in a positive way. And I think it's important to recognize, again, that when we have faith, we recognize, yes, I have to do my part. But then at the end of the day, I can rest at night knowing that I've done my best and that God will also kind of oversee everything. And it relieves us from a persistent anxiety sometimes that the world tries to foment for us. I mean, every time we turn on the news or we read a newspaper, the purpose there is for shock value. The purpose is to get us riled up. But when a person has faith, they really feel a sense of peace of mind in knowing that there is a God that's running the world, that there is ultimate accountability. And also, I mean, I pray three times a day using the words of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, where he says, those who have faith in God, their strength will be renewed. They will grow wings like eagles. They will run and not walk. And I know that when I'm here with God at my side, it does give me renewed strength, because I do believe that God believes in me. It's not only enough to say that I believe in God, but every day to recognize God believes in me. He knows that I'm here for a purpose, and that to me is such a great um, spiritual uplift that puts me not only at peace, but gives me a deeper sense of my specific uh, mission in the world. What do you recommend to help someone get started on a spiritual journey or to strengthen their existing beliefs? A couple of things. I mean, I do think that finding people that are of that spirit that you want to um, uh, exemplify, it's important to talk to them, to be around them. I'm a big believer in time for prayer, you know, meditation. Um, Big believer also in just, again, not just reading the Bible, but study. Um, Because one of the things that many people don't think about is that when we wake up in the morning, the first question should be not, what do I want, but what does God want of me? And when you read the Bible, when you study, it's a way to refocus what my life's about. I'm part of the reason why I wrote my book, which is What Will They Say About You When You're Gone? Creating a Life of Legacies, really helping start people on a path for being more mindful and intentional about living. You know, the premise of the book is that we do get serious in moments of crisis, but why wait for that moment of crisis? How can I identify what is the kind of life that I really want to lead? And then I take people on a journey of seven principles to reverse engineer their lives so that we lead the lives now how we want to be remembered. And once again, that book is What Will They Say About You When You Are Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy. If you would like to get more information about Rabbi Cohen and his work, you can visit RabbiDanielCohen.com. Rabbi, thank you so much for joining us. It is always such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. God bless you and all that you do. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Our next guest, Jose Antonio Bowen, argues that education needs to be redesigned to take into account how human thinking, behaviors, and change really work. Drawing on new research, Jose explores how we can create better conditions for learning that focuses less on teachers and content and more on students and process. After teaching at Stanford, Jose went on to become a professor at Georgetown, a dean at Miami and Southern Methodist Universities, and the president of Goucher College. He is the author of the book, Teaching Change, How to Develop Independent Thinkers Using Relationships, Resilience, and Reflection. Welcome, Jose. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. So, Jose, you say that it is important for educators to focus on new three R's, being relationships, resilience, and reflection. Why do you believe that this should be our priority? So as one of your listeners will remember, the old three R's, which were content-driven or reading, writing, and arithmetic. And so a lot has changed since then. First of all, the economy uh, and the world um, have changed and things move more quickly. We're now educating students for jobs that don't yet exist, so we're preparing them for an unknown future. But the other is that we know a whole lot more about the brain and how the brain lives in our body. How much sleep we get, um, what we eat and drink uh, affects how we think. And also we know a lot more about how we don't really think alone, that we think in groups and how humans evolved uh, to pay attention to who is speaking um, more than what they're saying, or at least first at who is speaking. So teaching students basic content, it made sense for us, uh, you know, a couple of generations ago. And I think even in the last few years, um, since the time I started writing on this book, uh, we realized that learning to change your mind is a lot harder than we thought, and that facts alone don't really do it, that, that trust is the first step uh, in trying to have a conversation with someone. And so uh, my new three R's are relationships, resilience, and reflection, and they're really more about process than just content. For the past 11 years, I've been working with the brand Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. And I created this to try to teach people the power that we have through our own thought process. And it's really been a mission of mine to get this information to our our younger generation, our children, so that they understand the power that they really have within themselves. But one of the things that I'm so afraid of, and and I don't know if you've seen this in, in the work that you've done through the universities, but do you think that because of technology and the way that we're so reliant on social media for messaging. Do you think we've lost the ability for critical thinking? You know, the, the good thing about evolution is that it's slow. So I, you know, I don't think that humans have lost anything. Uh, but it is true that we evolved in a different era uh, with different sets of skills. So basically, when you want to know how humans operate, think about what we were doing 10,000 years ago. And 10,000 years ago, Uh, Our survival, literally, whether we lived or died, depended on our ability to cooperate and our ability to work in a group, Uh, right? We were mostly, you know, hunting for for mammoths and wild carrots and that sort of thing. And so uh, the ability to say, well, okay, you're going to, you know, you're going to jump out of the tree. You carry the spear. You 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 do this. You do that. um, And knowing who was in your group. And so if I think, you know, I'm not sure you should be in charge and I'm not sure you're telling me the truth. I'm just going to go off on my own and, and, and try to feed myself. Um, you probably died. You probably starved to death. And so we didn't inherit those genes. So the genes that we all have are those that say, pay attention to who is talking. And if this person is taller or good looking or has power or is part of some group that we want to belong to, then you should probably listen to them. And that you should listen to them. That's more important even than whether you think they're telling the truth, um, that, that who they are and their position in the organization um, becomes really, really important because that was right more important. Otherwise, we starve to death. So our brains were not set up for all of this constant dopamine uh, addiction, which is, of course, what social media was. It was designed um, to provide a dopamine hit. You know, somebody likes me. Fantastic. I feel great. Give me more. So, so that. Those two things, right, the dopamine and our ability to, you know, our desire to look for who is speaking and to be uh, socially adept, and by the way, especially for adolescents, right, this is, this is in, in hyperdrive, those things do interfere with our desire to think for ourselves. So we're generally confused. We, we, we think, oh, I can think for myself. I think for myself all the time. 
And it feels that way, but we're generally not. And so in a lot of ways, this book is about all the ways that we don't think for ourselves, all of the traps that we fall into, and especially as teachers, all of the traps that we fall into because we assume that we, we look at a class full of students and we think, oh, they're all thinking for themselves and I'll just provide new data or new information or we'll have a discussion, one of our favorite tricks. Uh, and in fact, what's really going on in a discussion is the same thing that was going on 10,000 years ago, that people are looking around the room and thinking, well, who are the important people to pay attention to so that I don't starve to death, right? Uh, I, you know, I don't, lo lonely, like, loneliness is another great example of this. Why do we feel lonely? Because, right, feeling lonely is probably not good for your health. Uh, because if you're isolated and the, and the tribe moves on, you might starve to death. So let me go back and join the group and, and hear out what everybody else is thinking. So social media just, just exacerbates that. It does speed up the process to that faster than we can normally think about. And so, uh, you know, we have in some ways brains that were designed for a world that didn't have this much change, right? Didn't, didn't we didn't need to change our minds as often or as quickly 10,000 years ago. So now jobs are changing, information is changing, the world changes faster than the, the evolved brains that we have can keep up. And so we look at other clues to do that. And the most important of those clues are social. So a lot of what we have to do with students and with each other, as, as you've noticed, um, is to point out that we have control over the process, that there are some processes that are better able to slow us down and help us think about what is the process that's needed for me to evaluate this information and not just rely on who is speaking. Because trust is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it means that we trust sometimes the wrong people. We trust people that we have relationships with. But it also means if we slow down, we can think, well, why am I trusting this information? Who is speaking and why do I think it matters so much? And that's really the critical piece for both educators and for individuals, as you've pointed out. Jose, can you share with us a strategy that we can implement that would encourage independent thinking? So the most common one is the one that, that juries do, <laughs> which is um, when you're having a discussion uh, don't start by saying, well, who thinks this and who thinks that and who's in favor, um, right? Start with an anonymous poll, right? Because what happens is that when you're in a meeting, uh, you're in a group and somebody says, hey, um, I want pizza. And the person next door is thinking, oh, you know, I didn't want to go for pizza, but maybe everybody else wants to go to pizza. And the other person is thinking, well, I wanted pizza. And that person, so everybody else must have, right? You gain, so if the first person who speaks um, agrees with you, you grow in confidence. If the first person who speaks disagrees with you, you shrink in confidence. And so an anonymous poll can show the group that, well, actually, um, we're pretty, pretty split. Now, that's probably not the most important thing to do when you're deciding where to go for dinner. Um, but it is very important if you're trying to decide if somebody goes to prison or not, or if you're trying to make a big decision about um, whether you should have surgery. Um, or, or some other important matter. So, so polling is important. The other is to consider who is speaking and why. Do they have something to the gain? Are they really uh, a trusted source? Do they have expertise about this particular issue? Um, as you know, most of the misinformation is, is information that was, that was repeated from somebody else. It's not that the person who you're talking to invented this, um, but they're repeating something they've heard. So number one, right? Think before you repost. Think before you repeat. Um, do I really trust this information? Is it really important that I continue to, to, to propagate this uh, in the world? But for teachers in classrooms, the most important thing is to recognize that who is speaking matters uh, and that especially for adolescents, middle school, high school, and higher ed, um, social cues are very, very important. Um, so I'm a big fan of index cards. They are low tech. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, put down a position, you know, what do you think uh, about this? What is, your, what is your opinion? What are the ideas that support it? And then pass it to the next person, not the whole group, just one other person. Uh, and they turn it over and they write a rebuttal and they pass it back to you. Uh, and you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's a lot easier to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation than it is to discuss something in a group. Because in a group, you're constantly worried, right, the stakes are higher. Oh, my goodness, that all these people are all going to think I'm stupid uh, if I have the wrong opinion. 
another technique is to start with empathy, frankly. Um, ra rather than start with, well, here are all the reasons you're wrong. Think about what are the reasons why you might be right, right? Or why do you think this? What, what are the things that might have happened to this person's life that lead them to think that uh, and, to, and to start with empathy? Because, again, the first R is relationships. And so even if you violently disagree with this person, you're probably not going to change their mind with facts because emotions play a much larger role in how we think than we tend to acknowledge. Jose, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. There are millions of people who experience brain issues, and yet they can't figure out what's causing their problems, and they can't find any relief. According to today's guest, Dr. David Younger, these people may have seen multiple doctors, many of whom do not take their complaints seriously, or worse, turn to the easy, often inappropriate fix of antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. Dr. Younger believes that we should implement techniques and treatment protocols that help identify the true cause of symptoms so healing can take place. In his book, The Autoimmune Brain, Dr. Younger connects common brain health symptoms to the changes in the immune system. Dr. Younger is a neurologist who specializes in neuromuscular diseases and neuroepidemiology. For the past three decades, his work has focused on disorders triggered by infection and autoimmunity. He has authored several books and over 250 peer-reviewed articles, book chapters, and abstracts. Welcome, Dr. Younger. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Joan. Thank you for having me. Doctor, when we hear about an autoimmune issue, we don't usually think about the brain. How is the brain impacted by what is going on in the body? Well, the brain is part of the major organs, and there's something called the blood-brain barrier. And the blood-brain barrier seems to keep the systemic items like your kidney, liver, lungs, and all the things that can disturb those organs totally separate from what happens in the brain. And we think of the blood-brain barrier as being kind of a passive um, barrier, but it also is a, a truly uh, protective one. And in the course of autoimmune illness, it's believed that the blood-brain barrier can be disrupted or injured and temporarily become very porous, allowing uh, inflammatory uh, mediators and all of the things that happen outside the perimeter of the brain to come inside and stir things up. Why do you believe that happens? Well, we know it happens because we have good data from uh, animal studies, uh, primates, that in, in the course of, for example, Lyme disease or autoimmune encephalitis or, or other well-described phenomena, that these uh, animals um, develop brain changes. We, we also know it happens in COVID as well. The brain is not just a passive survivor or participant in acute COVID. We know that people who are uh, seriously ill with COVID-19 develop inflammatory changes in the brain. They even develop uh, unsuspected encephalitis. Um, and at autopsy um, examination, those uh, changes can be seen uh, in the brainstem and the cortex. Uh, it can be seen in association with uh, activation of microglia, which are the supporting cells of the brain, uh, around neurons and around blood vessels. Doctor, if so many conditions can be the result of our gut health, why isn't that the first area that doctors suspect when someone's having a problem? Well, it is for many people, including myself. Um, I'm, I'm a very proactive participant in uh, what we call the gut-brain relationship. Uh, treating the gut is, is not so easy. Uh, it's oftentimes dietary uh, changes, but it's also being careful not to expose the body to too many antibiotics uh, and to... Um, when one travels and one picks up bugs in the, in the course of diarrhea illnesses, in the uh, course of uh, certain probiotics that, that favor one organism over another, uh, there are just so many ways in which the gut can be uh, impacted on a day-to-day -day basis, but you're perfectly 
uh, correct when you say, why aren't more people aware of it? Well, I think they're aware of it, but they may not be aware of the association of the gut to the brain and how disturbances in the gut can impact uh, brain changes in a predictable way. So, so just saying that you want to be careful about your gut may not be the answer to specific complaints that one has um, come to the doctor for. If a person is dealing with a bacterial or a viral or a parasitic infection, would what they're experiencing present differently based on the cause? Oh, well, sure. Every, every uh, organism and every disease has a, a predictable illness pattern, and it's through pattern recognition uh, that we can uh, identify the likeliest cause. And when you started your, your talk with me about how millions of people are uh, finding that uh, they're being led down the path of uh, a failure in um, identifying their illness. I, I think this happens probably to a large extent because physicians are not utilizing their instinctual knowledge. Being a, an insightful doctor probably requires you to go beyond the textbook of the day and be a little more insightful uh, about what your gut feeling tells you uh, about someone's uh, complaints. And, and I find that, you know, this is an interesting analogy because we oftentimes refer to the gut as, a, as our second brain. It, it has probably as many neurotransmitters as the brain. It has a, an electrical system, a pacemaker, uh, and, and it's a highly intelligent um, uh, microbiome uh, with specific uh, populations of uh, organisms. Uh, and we're finding out so many things now about the gut uh, and its relationship to the brain. Uh, it's not a simple relationship, and, and it's, I don't want to over-dramatize it, uh, if I had my druthers, I'd probably say focus on the brain rather than the gut and, and live a, 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 um, a healthy uh, dietary uh, life. So, Doctor, books like the one you've written, conversations like the one we are having today, we're helping to educate people about these types of conditions. But if he or she goes to the doctor and the doctor's not helping them along this journey, what should that person be asking for? What types of tests? What types of treatments? Well, I think once you take matters into your own hands, there's certainly a, uh, a risk in uh, directing it towards an unfavorable or unsuccessful outcome. And, and I struggle in, in my own work um, in helping people to find um, a good, solid general practitioner and internist. Um, there are just so many choices out there in, in, in regards to the doctors you want to see, uh, whether you see a, a naturopathic doctor, a functional medicine doctor, uh, a nurse practitioner, an osteopath, uh, a medical doctor, a formal MD. There are just so many choices out there. People are now becoming, um, the medical profession seems to be um, drifting in the direction of popular demand. There, there are even doctors now who publicize themselves as being practitioners of complex disease uh, or um, difficult diagnoses. And I think if you if you find the doctor who is complementary to you uh, that you feel comfortable with, uh, you can work proactively uh, to make that a success. The book is The Autoimmune Brain, A Five-Step Plan for Treating Chronic Pain, Depression, Anxiety, Fatigue, and Attention Disorders. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Younger and his work, you can visit davidsyounger.com. Dr. Younger, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I'd, I'd like the listeners to understand that times are tough for many people. You can be the master of your health. You can be the master of your destiny. Do it with a doctor you trust. Find all of the assets you need in books like mine, The Autoimmune Brain, uh, in resources that are online. I wish you the best of luck, Joan. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak with you and to reach your listeners. 
Dr. Younger, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're a business owner and you're not using video to market your company, you're losing customers and revenue, guaranteed. No matter whether you're a one-person shop or your revenue's in the seven figures, video is guaranteed to improve your fortunes. Hi, I'm Ed Lamoureux, owner of Lamore Strategy Group and Lamore Life Productions, a marketing consultancy and video production company. The most common two things I hear about why businesses aren't using video marketing is, one, I don't know how to do video marketing, and two, I don't feel comfortable on camera. Well, to both of those objections, I say this. Video shouldn't be scary. Failure should be scary. Numbers don't lie. According to HubSpot, video is the number one form of media used in content strategy. And according to WiseOwl, 84% of people say that they've been convinced to buy a product or service by watching a company's video. So how can you ride the wave to your own success? As Nike says, just do it. Practice, delete, and repeat until it looks good and feels right. And don't forget that you should tell stories if you want to get engagement. No one wants to watch ads. Well, perhaps with the exception of advertising agencies who make their living off them. But learn how to tell a story, and you'll soon be watching the clicks and views multiply exponentially, along with your revenue. If you need help with your video needs, give me a call or visit my website at LamoreStrategies.com. That's L-A-M-O-U-R Strategies.com. This is Ed Lamoureux from Lamore Strategy Group and Lamore Life Production. Where our favorite story to tell is yours. Do you toss and turn in bed and feel like you will never fall asleep? Do you wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep? If this sounds like you, then hypnosis may be the answer for a good night's sleep. Hi, I'm Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner at Metro Hypnosis Center. If you're having trouble sleeping, First, you want to create a different approach to sleep. Start with the thoughts that you currently think about sleep. Instead of thinking, I won't fall asleep or I won't stay asleep, take a moment to rephrase those statements. I easily fall asleep at night. I can stay asleep for the whole night and wake up refreshed. Next, relax the mind before you go to bed. A lot of times, it's the thoughts or worrying that keep us up at night. Keep a night journal by your bed and write away the worries or thoughts of the day. When you close the journal, let that be the signal to start relaxing the mind. Do some deep breathing and visualize the body being relaxed. Visualize the thoughts leaving the mind. Visualize yourself sleeping through the night. These steps can be used if you wake up in the middle of the night as well. See this happening night after night easily falling asleep and staying asleep. For more information how hypnosis can help you, go to my website, metrohypnosiscenter.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, and that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Joining us today is Eileen Lashinsky, 
the founder and creator of Fine Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here, Joan. Thank you. Eileen, you recently published a book, Reflections of a Fat Girl, Wisdom Lost and Found from Growing Up Overweight. Can you tell us a little bit about how this book came about? Yes, I can. And I have to say, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you and to others about the book. Um, But I will tell you that even though I'm so excited about the book, um, it was my husband, actually, who said, Eileen, you have to put your writing into a book form. And when I was in private practice in upstate New York um, for nine years, uh, for seven of those years, I wrote a monthly article for Jill Magazine, which was published by our local newspaper. And every month I had a column and every month I would write about women's issues about anything and everything having to do with women, whether it was a national holiday, a political event, or um, something I might have seen on TV or read in the newspaper that would be of interest to women. And I wrote article after article after article. And my husband at some point said, Eileen, you have to put these into a book. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. And I don't think they belong in a book. And he said, Eileen, you have to do this. And then my marketing guru came along and basically said the same thing. So guess what? Now we have a book. So Eileen, what does this title represent? What are the main themes that you teach? So the title represents, I'll start with that one, Joan. Um, The title represents the fact that By the time I was uh, five years old, I was fat. I was a fat child. And I was an adolescent, and I was in a young adult, an intimate adulthood, uh, swinging from um, uh, binge eating to uh, highly restrictive eating. And my weight went back and forth, and my emotional self went back and forth. And so the title represents the fact that uh, for so much of my life, and even in moments now, the lens that I looked at the world through was from this fat girl perspective. And all of the wounds and um, and the scarring, basically, that I uh, accumulated over the years because of the messages I received when I was a fat child and beyond that. So the title is very, very representative of the lens, not only um, that I experienced the world through, but also that I wrote many or all of the articles from. And so what are the main themes that you teach? Um, The main themes in the book, well, what I did was I took all of the articles and, and I took them and I categorized them. And there is a chapter on body image. There is a chapter on innate body wisdom. There is a chapter on uh, hunger and why we eat, because many of us women know uh, that we don't simply eat because we're hungry. Um, or if we're hungry, we might not be hungry for food. We might be hungry for something else, but we eat anyway. And um, it, another theme in the book is about self-love. So what do, what do the articles teach? What do I teach through the articles? That basically we have to go within and learn about our own innate body wisdom. We have to learn about what will work for us. 
because what will work for me, what has worked for me, doesn't necessarily work for somebody else as that person might try to duplicate it. That we all have to tweak whatever it is, for example, that I might say in the articles and say, okay, I'm going to try this out, but if this doesn't work, I can learn how to do this, how to tweak it, as long as I'm paying attention to my innate body wisdom and responding accordingly. So we have to learn the language of our bodies, and that's also a message in the book. So we learn the language our bodies speak. That's step one, and of course, step two is for us to respond accordingly. Eileen, in about 30 seconds or less, if you could sum it up, what is the takeaway from what you teach? Readers will take away my absolute love and respect for women and my hope and dream for more body positivity and body diversity depicted in mainstream media. We need more of that so that we can see ourselves when we look at TV or open up a magazine or a newspaper. And that's just not the case these days. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about the book or Eileen and her work, you can visit findbodyfreedom.com. Again, that's findbodyfreedom.com. Or as always, you can hear more from Eileen by visiting our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.